morning scripture reading is from John 21, verse 4 through 19. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they had, were not able to haul in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they had got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. And now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts, our spiritual hearts and ears to hear your word and to receive it. And Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that will obey your word with joy and gratitude for all that you have done for us. I pray that you would block out distractions and that we would focus on your word. I pray that you'd anoint Brother Tommy as he brings it to us this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The story we just read is one that many of you may know. 
historically it is known as the Restoration of Peter. And as such, it's a story that really um, does not begin in, the, in front of the charcoal fire lit by Jesus for the disciples. But it begins in front of a different charcoal fire that is recorded in John chapter 18. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of these man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. As I said, the the story of the restoration of Peter doesn't begin with what we read earlier, but it begins here. It is a restoration because there was a failure. It is a restoration because Peter, three separate times, denied Christ. The conversation recorded in John chapter 1 between Jesus and Peter has significance because it brings to an end the shame that Peter carried as a result of his denial. And I think it's important for us when we read this story, when we think about this story, to not underestimate the depths of Peter's despair at denying Christ or the depths of his shame that he carried before his fellow disciples. When you think about where he was at, when you think about how he set himself up in this regard, you can't help but think that deep down he carried incredible shame and that shame was something that not only was internal, but it was something that he saw in front of the disciples, that he felt in front of the disciples. Peter was an incredibly vocal, and I would say almost arrogantly vocal opponent of his devotion to Christ. I will never deny you. In fact, multiple times in front of the disciples, he would say, I would die for you. Recorded multiple times in the Gospels, Jesus would say to the disciples, he'd say, listen, when you guys, when I am taken away, you guys will run away. When I'm taken away, you guys are going to be scattered. When when, when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter. And when he made that declaration to the disciples, Peter stood up and said, never. In fact, Lord, I will die for you. How do you think Peter felt in light of that? Taking the time to identify Peter's plight is valuable because we all at times share the emotions that I've expressed that Peter had. If you follow Christ for any period of time, there's not one of us who has not declared our undying devotion to Jesus. Maybe it was in a conversation, maybe it was in a song that we sang corporately. But every single one of us Christian at some point has said, I will serve you. 
I will stand with you. I, I, I will unreservedly follow you. And not one of us who has come to faith in Christ is unfamiliar with the shame that comes from failing to live up to what we know is the call of the, cry, of the cross and the confession of our faith. We know the price he paid. We know the gift we've been given. And in the most spiritually lucid moments of our lives, we declare as defiantly as Peter, even if I must die for you, I will not deny you. And then the failure comes. The temptation comes and we give in and we sin. The doubt grips us. And we cling to something other than Jesus Christ. And as a result, we become ashamed. And the devil uses this opportunity to accuse us of failing, to cause us to doubt our salvation, to doubt God's love for us. The enemy of our soul uses this as an opportunity to tell us that we should just give up, that we should just give in. Because how could God love you? How can you say you love him? This was Peter's state. We're coming now to the end of our series. Over the last 60 Sundays, we've been studying the Gospel of John. And throughout it, I've talked about the fact that the value of the Gospel of John is that the Gospel of John teaches us about Jesus, that the entire intent of John's writing was that you might know Jesus, that he might introduce people to who Jesus Christ was, the things that he said, the things that he did, the things that he taught, the life he lived, the work he did, his death, his resurrection, that the whole point of the book of John is to show us who Jesus Christ is and how his nature and his work and his gospel intersects with our lives. That when Jesus Christ comes into our lives and who he is and how he acted and the things he said and the things he taught and the work he did is impressed upon us. The power, the hope, the life that we receive. That as we study the book of John, what he writes, its value is in knowing Jesus and how the nature of Jesus interacting with us can transform us. John's recording that we read this morning is no different. The journey of Peter from the fire of denial to the fire of restoration provides for us the pathway of our own restoration. You see, the work of Jesus Christ is a redeeming work. The heart of the Father is a restoring heart. The core of, of the cosmic epic story that was begun at the dawn of time and finishes in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the restorative plan for the redemption of man. That's what it's all about. This whole thing is about restoration. And so we can never really lose sight of that. When we find ourselves separated, isolated, ashamed. We find ourselves in Peter's place. 
we can look into the story of Peter's restoration and see the truth that God wants us to realize about Christ's work in restoring us. The first thing that the story shows us, and I think that we have to begin the entire conversation around, is that there is always a place of restoration in Christ. Jesus did not deny Peter simply because Peter denied Jesus. Around that fire, he found the place of restoration in Jesus Christ. And I think when I look at the story, it's always important to note how intentional Jesus Christ was about making it publicly clear that Peter was accepted. And seeing how kind Jesus was in the restoration. Jesus wanted Peter's shame to be washed away. The shame that he felt before Christ. There's this deep shame that Peter brought to that moment. I, I can't imagine what it was like for Peter over the, over the weeks that he was walking with Jesus after, after Jesus' resurrection. How, how, how he couldn't help but to maybe shy away from, from the sight of Jesus, shy away from being at the center of the stage, because he's carrying with him that entire sense, that entire feeling, I denied Jesus. When Jesus needed me most, I denied him. And so you see in Jesus Christ's interaction, very clearly, Jesus wanting Peter to know, in my eyes, in my heart, you are restored. You are forgiven. But it wasn't just in that place. Because Peter was also walking in a way in which he had, his shame was not just before Christ, but it was before the disciples. Can you imagine what it would be like to be Peter? Over and over and over time, arrogantly lifting yourself above the rest of the disciples? Maybe everyone else will fall away, but not me. Can you imagine how the disciples felt about Peter? He's the one that denied them. And so Jesus makes this restoration before, before the disciples. Peter's shame was public, and so his restoration was public. Because Jesus' heart for Peter and Jesus' heart for us is total restoration. He cares deeply about where we find ourselves. And when he works in this way, when, when he works in this place of restoration, you see in this story the great kindness and mercy and graciousness of Jesus in restoration. When I read this, I can't help but notice an absence of harsh rebuke. There were no words like, I told you so. How could you do that to me, Peter? You realize you failed me in that moment. Instead, Jesus goes directly to Peter's heart for him. Jesus goes directly to, to, to Peter's heart for Jesus. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus in this moment asks 
Peter about the depths of his love for him. In the wake of his denial, just a few weeks earlier, Jesus is trying to bring Peter back to his heart for Jesus. And I want you to understand the question that he poses here. He says, he says to him, Peter, is, is your love, do you, do you love me more than all these others? For many of us, we read that passage and we interpret it to mean that Jesus is asking, do you have a greater love for me than the other disciples? But that's not really what Jesus is asking. What he's asking of him is really about the depths of his love. Is he, what he's saying is, do you love me more than anything else. Jesus is acknowledging the brotherhood that Peter has with the disciples and his affection, his affinity for the life that he was living. And Jesus was saying, do you love me more than anything else? And what I love about the interaction that Jesus Christ has here is in this moment, he is, he is forcing Peter to stare into the reality of his love for him. You know what I'm saying? He says, do you love me? And Peter, in that moment, responds sincerely, yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter denied him three times, and three times Jesus gets him to confess his love for him. And not only his love for him, but he gets him to acknowledge that Jesus knows he loves him. Why this is significant for me is this. For many of us, when we fail Jesus and we find ourselves in that place of shame, we doubt our love for Christ and his love for us. And Jesus in this moment is telling Peter, listen, I want you to understand our relationship is in the same place. I want you to understand, I know you love me and I know that your failure didn't deny your love for me. And I want you to know, I love you deeply too. For many of us, we doubt the relationship we have with Christ when we fail him. But Jesus in this declaration is setting the foundation of his restoration with the assurance of his love. In spite of your denials, Peter, I know You love me. And he finishes his inquiry with telling Peter, I want you to know that you will complete your commitment. The commitment you made to me when you said you would even die for me. At the end of this conversation that we just read, John says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would which Peter would glor- with which Peter would glorify God. Now, I want you to think about this. Essentially, what Jesus is doing in this conversation is reversing the conversation they had before. What happened was Jesus Christ stands up and he says, listen, when I am taken, you guys will all run away. 
when you guys, all, you guys will all deny me. And when Peter heard that, he says, absolutely not. I will die for you. And Jesus looked at him and said, no, you won't. You'll deny me. You'll deny me three times before the, the cock even crow, the, the crow, the cock even crows. That's what we're looking for. And here, Jesus says to him, you will, out of your love and devotion for me, give your life for me. He hands to Peter the assurance of his commitment. He says, I know the depths of your love for me, and I want you to know that you will live out that which you declared about me. Why does this matter? Why is this important? The reason it matters is because in this we see the heart of Jesus toward believers when we fail him. He's not looking to condemn us. He's looking to restore. He assures us that when we make mistakes, when we deny him and return to him, he doesn't love us us, and he doesn't doubt our love for him either. This is so important for us because for many of us, when we fail Jesus, the devil, the, the accuser of the brethren, the enemy of our soul, wants to create and sow into our hearts and into our minds a doubt between, a, a, a distance between us and our Father, between us and Christ. To make us believe that Jesus loves us any less or make us believe that we have any less love for him. To tell us to give up. But Jesus is declaring to Peter as he declares to us, every time we return to him, I know you love me. I want you to know I love you. And I want you to know I have a future for you. As long as you stay in me. I want us to look at Romans chapter 3 and I want us to see it maybe in a different light than what we've seen it in the past. Because really, Romans chapter 3 is unfolding for us the nature of God. The nature of God as he interacts with people who turn to him. So often we read this passage and we relegate it simply to to the interaction, the exchange that takes place when we come to salvation. But really what Romans 3 is speaking about is in a broader sense, the nature of God towards us. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that we might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So often we look at this and, and we read it like, for, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we leave it in that regard as, as a preamble to what it take, what we need to come to salvation. We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. So now if you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you now have salvation. 
But as I say, that the discussion here is really about the nature of God, that he is the one who is just, and he is, a, and he, and he is the justifier of those who put faith in Jesus Christ. You understand that even now in Christ, he is your justifier. Even now, he becomes the one who makes you righteous as a follower of him. Reverend George Duncan rightly stated, it would seem that some Christians have a message of forgiveness for the unbeliever, but no message of forgiveness for the believer. Thankfully, the truth is, God still continues to show his righteousness in being just and the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. There is always a place of restoration for you. His mercies are new every morning. He continues to be just in justifying you when you put your faith in him. Don't run from him when you fail him. He's not looking to condemn you, but to restore you. Return to him and find grace in the restoration that comes through Jesus Christ. And that really gets us to the second point that we learn from the restoration of Peter. The place of restoration in Christ requires a repentant return to Christ. Peter failed. Peter was broken. Peter was repentant. And Peter returned to Jesus. It wasn't until he did that that restoration could take place. This is really the pattern that we have to follow. This is really the pathway we have to follow. When we fall in our sin, I want to find restoration in Christ. Look at the recording of Peter's failing that we find in Luke. We're going to pick it up on his third and final denial in verse 59. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. John MacArthur in his, in his commentary on this passage, I think rightly states, Peter's weeping marks the beginning of his return to restoration. The way back to God begins with a broken heart. This is and has always been true. Restoration begins with repentance. You look at the words of, of Peter, and, and, I, and, I think, and I think it becomes even more poignant when we think about this interaction that's taken place between Jesus and, and, and Peter. Look at the words of Peter in Acts chapter 3. And, and realize this is literally just weeks this is literally just weeks after Jesus has this interaction with Peter around the fire. As he's speaking to the crowd, he, makes, he says these words, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, 
Imagine how deeply these words grip the heart of Peter in this moment. He says, repent and return so, so that the refreshing may come, so that the life may come, so you might be lifted up. Peter, who was carrying deep shame into that conversation, understood what it takes, and he understood what would happen when you return to Christ and repent of what you did. Peter didn't hide from Christ. He didn't allow his shame to distance himself from Jesus. But he continued to hold on to his declaration that he had made earlier in his conversation with Jesus. Where else can I go? You have the words of life. And in his repentance, in the presence of Jesus, he found restoration. If you failed him, if you are struggling with guilt and shame, repent. Return to Jesus. Turn back to his presence and receive his forgiveness and follow him. The place of restoration begins with repentance. And Jesus will receive you. He is faithful and just to forgive you. Repent. So that the rivers and the waves of refreshing might be set free in your life. And when you do, go and follow him. I think that's the final point I want to make. There is always a place of restoration when we return to Christ in repentance that calls us to obedience. Jesus required of Peter obedience in response to his restoration. To every step of his conversation with Peter, as he spoke to him about his love for him, he asked of Peter an act of service. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he completes the entire conversation after revealing the death he would suffer for Christ's glory with, follow me. True repentance that produces complete restoration always leads to sincere devotion. Follow me. At the heart of our study of the book of John has been this theme. Follow Jesus. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus taught. This is who Jesus is. Follow him. Follow his love. Follow his holiness. Follow his devotion. Follow his sacrifice. Follow his forgiveness. Follow his life. Follow him. Obviously, as I say this, this call to obedience and following Jesus is central to what it means to be a Christian. But more directly to the point of our discussion of restoration is that it is essential to making sure your restoration. 
Listen, when you repent and return to Jesus and he restores you, the only way you stay in that place and not go back to the sin that you were just turning from is to follow Jesus. So many people frustratingly come to the altar of repentance time and time and time and time and time again in search of restoration. Because they continue to fail because they never follow Jesus in obedience. He will restore in response to repentance, but you have to commit to the life of Christ, the words of Christ, the works of Christ, the way of Christ, if you want to live in the victory of your restoration. We can't just return to our folly from the fire of restoration. We have to follow Christ to make that restoration assured. And what's funny is, I think even as I say that, there are many of us who amen that and we agree with that, but for many of us, that's the rub. That's the difficult task. Many of us sit there and go, I get it, I understand that, but I keep finding myself falling back into what I was doing. That's part of the reason why I carry shame in this is because I've been coming back to him over and over again about the same thing. I've been trying to follow him. And yet I find myself failing. As we close this morning's message, there's an important addendum to Peter's restoration story that helps to answer that frustration. And it takes place about 40 days after this conversation around the fire. The truth is, on the day of Pentecost, Peter received the power from God to live in the restoration that was given to him by Christ. The ability to follow God is not an ability that rests in us, but an ability that is given to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you that Jesus Christ told Peter and the rest of the disciples in Acts chapter 1, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there. And in a few days, the power of God will come upon you. This is their understanding of what they received on the day of Pentecost. This is their understanding of what happened when that wind blew through the upper room and shook the place and the tongues of fire came on them. The power of God was given to them. Now with that reality, with that truth in place, I want to ask you what you think Peter meant when he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
Peter is declaring to each one of us that everything we, we need for the righteousness to which we are called to stand against the sinful desires of this world that lead us into sin is given to us in the power of the Holy Spirit poured out on us. It is not in your strength. It is, it is in the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in the life of every believer. Your hope is in Christ. Your life is in Christ. And the power that you need to live the life he calls you to, he has given you in the Holy Spirit. Each one of us needs to realize that our strength is in him to press in more deeply, to know him more intimately. As we follow after Jesus, the Holy Spirit can be set free in our lives to empower us to be everything that he's called us to be. There is a place of restoration for all who return in repentance and follow him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not despair. Do not live separated from the hope that is found in Christ. Do not stay in your, in, in your sinfulness because Christ is here to restore and his power is here in the Holy Spirit.